I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hello, everyone. Uh, Jeremy here. And before we throw it to this week's episode, uh, I just want to take a second to let you all know we're coming to Toronto. Uh, That's right. If you live in the Toronto area, me, Brian, and Taylor are going to be in your city uh, this coming weekend. We're flying in on Friday. We'll be there Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We're going to record a bunch of episodes, but... We are going to be doing a live show, a live recording at the Movember House once again. Uh, the beautiful people at Movember have have graciously allowed us to come into their space. I think it's 588 Richmond Street West. I don't actually know for sure. I should know that, but that's just basing that off memory. If Just go Google it just in case. Uh, but we're doing a live show there. Tickets went on sale uh, on Wednesday, I think, something like that last week. And there's only six tickets left. So if you haven't gotten your ticket yet and you're in Toronto and you're hearing this now, mosey on over to our Instagram. Uh, The link is in our bio for tickets. Uh, You can go to our Facebook and find the link there or it's through Eventbrite. Um, Don't hesitate. It's going to be an amazing show. Uh, We're going to be sitting down with uh, past Sick Boy guest Drew Dudley and that episode that we did with him um, about a year and a half ago had some pretty profound effects on people. He is an incredible, incredible human being, uh, a a famed TED Talk speaker, and we cannot wait to sit down and shoot the shit. Uh, Other than that, I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Adrian, this guy is a gem, loves sitting down with him, and we feel like you're going to love him too. See you on the other side. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick, This week's guest is Adrian. He has Crohn's disease. Let's talk about it. Even inhalation affirmation. Um, Whose mom does that still? My mom does. My mom does that. I do it now because I did it as a joke and now it's kind of worked its way in. Is Is that a a Atlantic Canadian old mom thing, or is that just an older lady thing? I think it's just an East coast, yeah. East coast thing in general. I don't think it's, yeah. you know, I don't think it's gender specific. I've been I all mean, over. I mean, you don't Even have to be a bigot about it. Dude, I, think. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't think I've actually ever heard. Uh, I don't think I've heard a man do it ever. My grandfather. Oh, maybe. Yeah, yeah, dude, for sure. Dude, Lonis does it like all the time. <laughs> no, he fucking does. Yeah, he does. Hey, listeners, if you're out there listening uh, right now, if you're uh, if you're living in Toronto or any anywhere <laughs> west of Toronto, have you ever heard somebody? Lonis is from Lunenburg. Go, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I it's like never just, I know, it's never I know, just but one. I want to know if it's, it's just never just here. one. <laughs> yeah, it's like a start. It starts soft and then it goes into. A, it's always multiple. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
like, I like that you called it an oh, yeah. inhalation oh, yeah. affirmation. I've yeah. never heard of it. That, yeah. I've never heard that. I, just, I don't know where if I, uh, people can call me out on this. I didn't make that up at all. Yeah. It's just something that I picked up. So. Yeah. You're coining the term right now. We get it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> We're going to all my name be next doing to that. the entire podcast. <laughs> yeah. Listeners are like, all right, it's worse That's than enough. when people breathe into this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, speaking about uh, inhalation affirmation. Uh, what are we talking about today? <laughs> we're, yes. we're talking about uh, Crohn's, I believe. Yeah, you know, uh, Crohn's. Like, Crohn's. And Crohn's. What was the other thing that you mentioned? Uh, PSC, which is primary sclerosing colangitis. It's a liver condition. It's an inflammatory uh, disease, just like uh, Crohn's is happens to the digestive tract. Oh, so. We had oh. we had a similar uh, conversation. I don't. I'm not sure if it's similar. I don't know what the things, but it was also a liver condition with. Uh, Hillary, um, but it wasn't PSC. It wasn't PSC. I feel like it was PSC. I feel like it might have been. Shit, now that yeah. was like months and months That's and months insulting ago. insulting to her that you didn't remember mm, that. Well, dude, it was like Sorry, 10 months ago. <laughs> Horrible. Um, <laughs> Crohn's. I always spell Crohn's wrong. Yeah, same. How do you spell it? C R O H N S. You just asked the guy who said that I know. he admittedly uh, spells it wrong. And it's not C H R O N S, which is what uh, <laughs> hell I spelt it yeah. once on an episode title. <laughs> oh no. I went back and fixed it. Uh, how long have you had Crohn's? Uh, I was diagnosed when I was 14 years old, but I probably had it for a year or two before that. Oh shit. Okay. Yeah. So, and you're what now? 27, 28? 28. Yeah. Okay. So you've had it for a while. Yeah. And in fact, my brother twin brother was diagnosed with it before i was and so i was a little late to get sick i guess if you want to say that but uh, i watched him go through it and then slowly progressed into my own condition and, and was it kind of like uh you were looking at your bro going through it and you were like <laughs> sucker yeah well no it was like a scary thing right oh yeah oh okay. <laughs> <laughs> actually no it wasn't like that at all yeah. jeremy <laughs> it, well it's, it's interesting because looking back on it now it's i think if anything somebody going through something and watching somebody do it and then starting to go down your own path on it. It was it, much worse for me because I was a typical kid who was like just denied the fact that it was even happening. Right. So it compounded a lot of the problems that I ended up having to deal with and made it, you know, made and, it worse. So. And what's the, um, I, was, I mean, I, I almost always hear colitis go with Crohn's and I know that I, and I, I know that some people have both and some people have one or one leads to the other. Is that how, how that works? I know you, you don't, yeah, you don't not have colitis. A, yeah, so I don't, I'm not an expert on colitis, yeah. but I know Crohn's for sure is anything that can happen straight from, you know, entry to exit. You know, it can go through your throat, it can go through your stomach, it can go through your small intestine, your bowel, large intestine, everything. Mm-hmm. Um, colitis, to my understanding, I think is a little more focused. Uh, In the colon. Right. Yeah, it's a yeah, little it's more focused, se- uh, so focused, I guess. Every time we talk about Crohn's, I and I think I might have said this on a past episode, but I can't help but think about the, uh, there was one time I heard someone refer to humans as like, just like oddly shaped donuts. You know, like we are just, we are this thing that has one hole from our mouth to our butthole. And so we're just like, we're just these like human shaped donuts. That's, wow. You know what I'm thinking of? You know what I'm <laughs> wow. saying? I think I kind of understand what you you're understand saying. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like yeah. you got a donut hole. Like your mouth is one side of the hole and your butthole is the other. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And like everything just passes between those two. I, I don't feel exactly. like you can, you can draw except for similarities your, Except for your dick. Like, sure. You can, you, there, you can <laughs> because there's one hole, there's <laughs> a start to finish, but a lot of stuff that happens in between. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but hey, stuff that well, hey, now here we go. Here is where this gets interesting. 
Break it down to the quantum level. And there's a lot there's a lot happening between the start and the end of an actual donut hole. So I've been watching a lot of Cosmos, so I'm actually inclined to to take you up on this conversation, but I'm definitely not going to. Is there is there an event horizon in donuts that I don't know about? I think it's a black hole. Once it goes into your mouth and down your throat, it's a black hole. We can't see beyond it. It starts on the visual level, like when you look at a donut, you just know you're gonna eat it. So there's no coming back. And when it comes out of your butthole, that's like what happens when you go through the black hole. That's Whoa. the that's you that's the yeah. other dimension wow. for the food. And it comes but, in but, a different form. Right. And then but oh my Whoa, god, this Holy is shit. actually crazy. But, but wait, but wait, it actually comes out into the same plane of existence, but it has changed. Whoa. So maybe that's what a black hole is. You go through and you actually come back out in the same And the shit doesn't universe. remember that it was food at one point. No. So, so it has a completely different reality. So, case in point, Crohn's equals Human donuts. <laughs> right. And black right. hole in quantum physics. That's right. Yeah. So, yeah. so tell us about your black hole. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, I wouldn't give it a dark, dark color. Like that. Yeah. It's yeah. more of a light brown. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, you know, interestingly, one of the things that I, if anybody ever asks me about my condition, which most people probably don't even know I have, I'm one of the lucky ones. I don't take medication. Uh, I don't have colostomy bag. I don't have the ongoing horrible symptoms that you may see as far as the the, the dramatic scale. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm able to maintain my health with uh, diet. I'm able to maintain uh, all my comfort with exercise and things like that. And there's a lot of people out there that don't get that. And I, part of it's probably chalked up to getting at you when I was younger and being able to mature with it a bit more. Uh, because when it comes on for people later in life, it's usually a lot more of a mm. uh, a lot more of a, a serious day to day condition uh, management. So, so I want to I want to go back to like the time when when you found out that you had it and and knowing that your brother had it first. You mentioned that it was is quite scary and and obviously like having a, a twin brother myself too. I couldn't imagine watching him go through a diagnosis um, similar to that. So what was it? that was presenting itself that made him uh, have to go in and get checked out at first? Well, the main thing that happens typically with people that have Crohn's is that, you know, it's constant washroom breaks. You know, you're, you're seeing someone go to the washroom a lot. Doo-doo. Doo-doo is yeah, a, big, uh, it's yeah. a big thing. You're, you're definitely, you're, you're crapping a lot. all the time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're just, you're, it's the only thing that happens. But when you're a kid, you don't perceive it as being a problem because it happens over right. a slow progression. And so that started to happen for him, uh, but he also started to lose a lot of weight. And so when you're thir- when he was 12, when you're 12 years old and you see a kid who weighs less than 100 pounds starting to lose weight, mm-hmm. and we were really active, we skateboarded, we did everything. And so seeing him lose his energy, start to use the washroom more, all those things, there was concern from the jump because my parents were like, all right, let's go get this checked out right away. And so the the checking out process was a lot more apparent for him. And then when it started to happen to me, it was more of, because I had already seen how scary it was to go to the hospitals and, and all that. So I was like, all right, this isn't happening to me. And so I played the denial aspect for months and months and months, way too long. Right. <laughs> Did you, it, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, is it, is it genetic? You know what? Uh, definitely. I think genetics have something to do with it. I've read lots of different things uh, throughout the last 15 years since, it's kind of been a thing for me, but uh, sometimes it can be really dietary as well. You know, sugars, okay. mm-hmm. um, uh, homogenized milk, I guess, is very bad. Uh, oh, they've, really? they've made some correlations between 
uh, homogenized milk, the bugs that can tra- travel in those sort of things that are harmless to everybody else but can affect certain people in certain ways, mm. I guess that can actually trigger, um, you know, the autoimmune disease of Crohn's. So. I, uh, this past weekend I was in a uh, total side note, fucking has nothing to do with anything, but Perfect. I was in a, I was, I stayed out of town. I went to this place called La Have, which is like outside of Halifax. And uh, we stayed on this farm on this little, little tiny home, beautiful little getaway. And, uh, their cow had had a, um, well, it's kind of sad. Their cow was pregnant. They were going to have a calf. Uh, and but it was a stillborn, so the baby died. Yeah. Um, and they were pretty bummed out about it. But so their cow, this Jersey cow, is still it's it's in that process of like producing a fuckload of milk. And uh, the farmer uh, walks out of the barn w- one day while we're sitting out drinking our coffee in the morning, and he's got like a fucking vat of milk, fresh milk. And I was like, "Did did you just milk that?" And he goes, "Yeah, dude, t- twice a day. Uh, this is how much milk comes out of out of the cow." And he goes, "Do you want some?" And I immediately thought of the time that we drank breast milk on the show. Of course. And so I went, now, any other time I would have went, uh, I'm good. <laughs> like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm all right. <laughs> but I was like, I drank breast milk. I, I drank some stranger's breast milk. Yeah. Give me some of that cow milk. <laughs> and it was, uh, I don't know if that would be considered homogenized because it's so fresh. Like, like what, what, what's the difference between homogenized and like 1%? Like, yeah, I, I wouldn't know. It's probably well, just yeah, that like was fairly like straight un, up unlinked to anything that we were talking about. Uh, but here's the thing. Here's you know, the thing. Let's, uh, let me okay. finish. <laughs> I drank the cow's milk. Okay. And then. Your dick is bigger now. Uh, no, it traveled from my mouth down my throat. Through my bloated through my belly, through my small intestines, into the large intestine, into the colon, and straight out my asshole. And I went I white. looked at that farmer and I went, dude, do you ever think how we're all just donuts? <laughs> oh god. And he was I hate like you. and he was like, Yeah, dude. I totally yeah. do. You know what's weird? And I don't wanna I don't wanna go on this tangent too long. So definitely we'll, not. We'll, so we're gonna leave it after this. But <laughs> but isn't it weird conceptually that that you would think, oh, okay, you would justify drinking fresh cow's milk because you're like, oh, well, I guess I drank women's breast milk, so yeah, I guess yeah. I guess if weird. I did that crazy yeah. thing, then I could surely drink cow's, yeah. cow's milk. Whereas the reality is that drinking breast milk from a should human is actually, is it should be way more normal yeah. than drinking another animal's milk. <laughs> I guess where that all came from was I wondered if you could get away with drinking that cow's milk, but really, who gives a fuck? I mean, that's I know neither here nor there. So in my adult life, I know from managing my diet, I know dairies out of the question yeah, yeah for sure all day like even unpasteurized like like cheese and stuff like that no no it's just specifically milk aha uh-huh. okay hilariously enough i have no problems with cheese I have no problems with spicy food i literally have hmm. uh That's yeah interesting. interesting um uh ability to eat most things but like just milk related things and even uh, to a certain extent um like wheat-based products so like pastas and cereals mm-hmm. and things like that uh all of those things which can cause inflammation, tend to irritate Crohn's. Right. For, for people that are at least unmedicated, you know, don't take any medication at mm-hmm. all. So. When, you, when you were a kid um, and you started finding out that uh, you had this, and I mean, well, your brother had it, so you found out after, um, what was kind of a two-parter? A, what was your, what was like the, the challenges in changing your diet and figuring out your dietary needs? And uh, I had a friend when I was uh, young that I played hockey with who had a feeding tube. Yeah. Um, that he wore, well, he pr- pretty much wore it 
day in day mm-hmm. out. Yeah. Um, did you ever have to go go with a feeding tube at all? Or no. I, so what happened? The process of my uh, diagnosis was a little different from my brother's because yeah. I pushed it off so long. They do a series of tests, colonoscopies, usually like really weird tests when you're a kid. They're mm-hmm. going to show a camera up your ass and take a look around. And do yeah. Which you're super excited for, obviously. Yeah, and like getting <laughs> enemas for fun. Like no one likes that, right? <laughs> I love those enemas, man. Those high fiveable moments with your doctor when they're looking into your eyes and going, we're going to flush Okay, your we're ass. going to now push this in Do you there. feel that? Yeah. yeah. Do you feel that? Um, so. uh, did you get a lot of enemas? Uh, lots of tests that required... Stuff going um, in the butt. Scopes, you know, scopes going in. In fact, because of my pushing off and pushing off, I got way sicker than my brother ever got. Right. Oh, so okay. I got to the point where it was like hospitalization was almost where I needed to be. Mm. Um, so typically when you get to a point with Crohn's where you're not changing your diet and you're still really sick, you know, everything starts to become like tissue paper for that inflammation. So you start to bleed. Oh, straight shit. out your ass sometimes it's, it can be really bad so when you're a kid and you go to use a washroom and you're used to it being like a mess anyways and then you're like oh christ there's blood in here too like Fuck. what the hell yeah. so between the time that i started seeing blood which was like a real moment for me it was about two weeks after that um they got me in for these tests um and during one of these tests they actually do what's called a biopsy where they take a piece of something out so they can determine exactly if it's the same thing and uh they perforated my um, my bowel and by so accident. It, yeah. Because fun. it was so, it was so inflamed thin. and so thin they perforated it. And so I woke up from what was supposed to be a, a two hour test. I woke up and they were like, you're going to have to go in for surgery. And so, that's really bad. You can go septic and septic possibly die right? fast, especially from the bowel. And so were you going into sepsis? No, no. They brought okay. me, they brought okay. me out. They brought me out of the, uh, Ooh. anesthesia, put me back into, um, emergency surgery prep room and they were they were just basically walking me through the steps and i was like uh, yeah 14 years old wow just started grade 10 and they were like all right uh we're going to be doing surgery to blah blah blah, blah. and they were rhyming it all through my family was crying everybody was losing their minds and i was just like what the hell's happening i thought i was just going to get a test here like yeah and so uh yeah i had like 20 minutes under almost anesthesia to make uh you know put sense to what was happening why did they even bring you out uh, they, have, they, have, they, to, they have to wake you up and they have to make sure that you're out of the anesthesia before they can put you back under for, so I wasn't under full general anesthetic. I was just oh, out of it. Just, loopy. just so out of it that Got I, it. yeah. Okay. So this was full on, like we're putting you under. I was like, that's a really <laughs> fucking <laughs> yeah. unnecessary step. Yeah. You know, it's like, he's already out, but, um, let's wake him up. Let's wake him up. <laughs> <laughs> fucking tell him and then put dude, him back down. Dude, dude, dude. Guess what we're about to do. <laughs> yeah. 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 No. You're not believe it. Hey, yeah. we just want to let you know, we want to wake you up, let you know there's going to be a complication. Yeah. Okay. We're going to put you back on it. We're going to fix it. Okay. Well, that was, so the messed up part was, is that, um, with Crohn's too, when you're really sick, there's a lot of abdominal pain. And mm-hmm. I used to go, uh, well, during this two week period that happened, they'd give you morphine and all that stuff. And it really wouldn't help that much because of the, the amount of pain. And so they wake me up and, uh, immediately I'm like already uncomfortable, even though I was just out and they're like, here, drink this apple juice. And I'm like, yeah, no problem. Boom. And threw up violently because immediately, immediately, like it was like in my stomach and then it just came back out. Whoa. And then right after that, they were like, so listen, like <laughs> we're that gonna, was actually a test. <laughs> yeah, we're, we have to go back in. We, we've perforated your blah, blah, blah. And so Jesus I literally was just like, oh man, like so insanely, 
out of my mind. I didn't know what to do. Like a 14 year old kid being told he needs to have emergency surgery do and you, not knowing how bad it was. Do so. you remember that though? Like, cause so like when I get a, I got my a pick line in when I was um, admitted for pneumonia and I had like really strong anxiety. And so mm-hmm. they're like, all right, we're going to like make you kind of loopy. And they gave me like a bunch of midazolam or something, put it in. And then wheeled me back to my room. But like, I don't remember. And I was talking to them and, and having conversations, but I don't remember any of that. Yeah. Um, did you get pulled out of that anesthetic enough that you're like, you recall that? Yeah, it was vivid. Like oh, vivid to fuck. the point. I think the point was for me is like seeing my family's reaction. My dad's a really calm, level-headed dude. And he was like. In tears. Pieces. Like, because oh. nobody knew how bad it was, right? They right. thought they hear, emer- anybody hears emergency surgery, they're like. You, we were just supposed to be here for a few hours. He was just getting a scope. We're getting a test. We're going to get out of here. And uh, and so my dad sits down and he's just like, and I've never, ever in my life seen my dad a wreck. And I'm like, am I going to die? Like, what the yeah, heck's right. going on? Mm-hmm. Dude, crying dads is like, that shit, hardcore. That yeah. shit uh, sears its way into your into your memory. Yeah. Like, it's it's one of those things that you will never forget. And that was the Jimmy Kimmel f- thing. That was yeah. what, why yeah. Jimmy Kimmel was such a hardcore, visceral, like, I was like, Kyle and I were in bed watching this video crying mm-hmm. both going was that with this his kid is, yeah yeah it was fucking was hard, terrible hard video to watch yeah. i can imagine that being it being i mean just the unknown the unknown of going because emergency i mean emergency could be okay well this is an emergency because we need to do it now or this could be an emergency because we need to do it now and it and it, the it, result could be bad, bad. Yeah. um so like emergency is never good emergency is never good but i'm sure you know there's a spectrum for all things but you're i'm sure they're not go- waiting to go okay well let me explain the spectrum of emergency to you uh, and uh, where you fall on yeah, that right exactly now. Are, are you and brian wearing the exact same pants right now uh <laughs> is that did i just make the, i don't think well, so I, I think you might be so the uh, kicker just just to <laughs> move past the surgery the kicker with mine oh yeah let's bring it back <laughs> yeah the, and the sweatpants i just want to move past yeah. that <laughs> hold on a fucking second the pants. i gotta know are those the same pants i don't think so but yeah. anyway the, the kicker both lululemon anyway no no just the the <laughs> kicker with my surgery was is that when they brought me back um out from the surgery and they basically put me up in my hospital room. I don't remember the three days after. I don't remember anything. They had me on crazy amount of drugs. But one of the very first conversations I had that I can remember when I woke up was the nurse explaining to my mom that it turned out that the surgery was didn't need to happen. Because, Whoa. Yeah, yeah. No. Yeah. So why? Because when they got in there, the hole had already healed itself over. What the, f- what are you ex? What are you fucking uh, Wolverine? Like Wolverine? Yeah. And so basically <laughs> explaining to my mom that they just kind of cut me open and rearranged shit just to find out that everything was still, uh, it was, it was going to be okay regardless if they'd gone in enough. Now, having said that, you don't want to take chances. No, of course, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. So, they plants. They just like they're like, well, we might as well I was plant in, something in here to make it look like it was bad. Oh my god, we found a scalpel in him. <laughs> I mean, we didn't have to fix the perforation, but if we didn't take this scalpel that was yeah. somehow in him, yeah. uh, he probably would have died. Yeah. So it was worth it. Uh, so you back up. I was in. I was. I was in. Uh, I had the surgery the same week as Hurricane One. 
I was oh, in the really? hospital. Oh, that shit. was the week that I had. It was a bomb week. That was a sweet I had, week. I had TV and like ice cream and all this oh, other right, crap. Right, because you obviously Not had power. Cream. Yeah. Duh. Well, they kept powering them. And then <laughs> they Xbox, the they rolled everything into the room. Really? Yeah, so it was killer. Yeah. So for those those uh, listeners that don't know, Hurricane Juan was this uh, crazy, insane hurricane that that hit in like September of what was it like 2004? I think. Yeah. Uh, around then. Three, yeah, three four. It was yeah. more devastating than the Halifax explosion. It was crazy. It's, <laughs> it was, uh, well, not as many people <laughs> died. Yeah. Yeah. So trees, like, lots of trees. Oh yeah, right, yeah. right, right. It was, yeah. But the craziest thing was like the sidewalk was like torn up from like yeah. the storm itself. Yeah. I think it was from trees toppling over and roots pulling up the sidewalk. That but we it. can pretend that the wind was strong enough to tear up sidewalks. Right. Yeah. It was actually. It was actually just like, like if you look at it on a scale of like hurricanes like that Sandy actually or... hit like the eastern coast of the United States like every year. It was like uh, a baby version of that. Really. Like it was. It, it just hit us directly. Eastern. That's the only thing. It just hit us directly. It actually instead just of, like, got windy here. Up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it got yeah. really windy, and we're not used to that, so <laughs> it was bad. <laughs> Uh, Where were we? Yeah. Uh, we well, you were in the hospital post yeah. uh, post surgery. Post surgery, so hurricane were you, one. Were you in like when the hurricane hit? Yeah. So I came out and two days. <laughs> two days. No, no. The third day I was in the hospital. That evening is when the hurricane hit. So I had this like crazy bay window, I did, and again, very vivid because I don't know. I was on tons of drug, but very vivid um, screen to what was going on outside. And I remember That's just wild. like watching like doped on morphine just like watching like the wind blow and like lights and transformers blowing up and stuff like that it was pretty wild. it's crazy yeah. that, it's crazy yeah. that that was happening at this time which which like doubles the amount uh the the way that you connect to that experience because there was also this at the same time as this very personal thing is happening to you there's also something happening outside that's yeah. affecting absolutely everybody, everybody. everybody yeah. and everybody who is from halifax who was in halifax at that time is now like launched back in their memory because that's so vivid mm-hmm. to them. I mean, like mm-hmm. that was a week that, you know, I'll never f- forget in my entire life. So it's just cool that it's kind of yeah. linked mm-hmm. to that. I, I know what you mean too, because like I can picture when you're saying like looking out of the bay window, like I remember looking in in, in like the bay window in my house and just feeling like the glass like pulsating mm-hmm. because yeah. of the wind and the pressure. <laughs> Dude, and, I went to sleep, <laughs> woke up the next day, <laughs> I came outside and looked at the house and I was like, hey, oh, why is the house just splattered with leaves? And my dad was like, Jared, did you hear the storm last night? And I was like, what? No, I slept. And he goes, Jesus Christ, it was the worst hurricane Nova Scotia has ever seen. And I was like, man, my... Uh, this week on Sick Boy, <laughs> Hurricane One. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so let's take it back to, uh, to Crohn's. Um, so, so you go through this process. You come out of it. Um, was there like... Was that a moment in your life where... where your future was kind of like, okay, I, this, I, I have a new life now. Like this is, things are not going to be yeah. what I always expected them to be. Yeah. 100%. So it, it was a dramatic, um, difference from kids feel like they're immortal. I would think, you know, yeah. more or less mm-hmm. they think their parents are going to protect them from everything. And then all of a sudden I realized my parents couldn't protect me for what was happening inside my own body. Whoa. And so it was just like a, unreal vulnerability that I, that I didn't know how to deal with. And then Mm. also I think earlier I realized there's, there's a heavy sense of impermanence that everybody has. And so when I came out of the surgery and I literally, I came out and everything was destroyed. I got out about five days after the hurricane and the power was still off in most areas. And I was just looking around and I was like, 
man, like this is such a crazy contrast yeah. to what my life was like two or three weeks ago. The, the outside really is like, fucked up the entire city. Yeah. Or yeah. the outside is like a, like a personification of what's happening inside. Yeah. Me. Big time. And so, and, and it really was, it was a six, seven month cleanup to get my body back to, you know, a healthy state. They put me on a heavy cycle of steroids and they also put me on um, uh, a drug they use for Crohn's or they used to use for Crohn's. I don't know if they still do. It's called Soliflock and it helps manage inflammation and it helps deal with the thick conditions that you can get from uh, that sort of inflammation. Uh, I was on a shit ton of that. They were on eight pills a day, like 800 gram milligram or 100 milligram pills of this Soliflock and taking two heavy steroids for seven, eight months. So Whoa. what exactly is your Crohn's like what is like what is anatomically happening when it when you have like would you call it a flare-up yeah flare-ups the same it's the same uh, like to hear it's it's a an irritable irritable bowel disease right of of some sort you know it can affect people from top to bottom but it only affected me and my bowel you know as far as it could be like in in your esophagus you could experience you could have it in your throat and your stomach uh you know it's not like a uh, it's not the same as having heartburn or anything like that. I don't think it's the same as having ulcers either. It's it's something completely different. So for my case, how the Crohn's was affecting me is that the bowel has, and this is super layman's terms, uh, fingers inside of it, these little phalanges. Phalanges. That, phalanges yeah. that stick out, uh, and they help uh, pick up and absorb different things that the body needs, obviously. And so those phalanges along with the wall of the bowel become really inflamed. So not mm-hmm. only they get tight, but those get um, those get inflamed to the point where they actually break off. And so when you start losing those, you start losing the ability to absorb things. Oh, okay. And so... Oh, would that be would that be why somebody might need a feeding tube if they lose a exactly. lot of that and they can't get the nutrients? Exactly. You're not getting what you're... You don't get the most out of what you're eating. Right. Um, so for me, it's... Uh, uh, that was what was happening for me. And mm. so my body had to rebuild basically top to bottom um, from the bowel and into most of my uh, lower intestine. These phalanges had to grow back. And so... I had to be super chill. I couldn't skateboard. I couldn't go to gym class. I couldn't do anything. I literally had to just like relax and let my body heal uh, with these steroids they were giving me and with this medication. So this was this was happening then in I guess this, your your first experience with being in the hospital would have happened in September then because that's when the hurricane was and and you said it took took Lest about we seven, forget. seven to nine <laughs> months. Uh, uh, kind of recovery to be on these these steroids and antibiotics or whatever. Um, how did that affect your your year in school? Well, it was first year high school, so it didn't happen for me really. Did you I say fourteen? A, you were fourteen in your four, first year 14, of high school. 15. Yeah, I was were, a young young kid. Were you out of? Were you like having to miss classes and things like that? Like uh, I had to sit. Really- yeah, I had to sit on the sidelines for anything physically active. But I mean, for the most part, my my medication helped me manage my condition. So I didn't have to, you know, sit out on anything. I could go to school regularly. I think I went back to school regularly about a, three or four weeks after. What's it, what's it like telling like other kids your age? I didn't tell anybody. Yeah. I was going to say you probably didn't. Uh, I didn't talk about CF much when I was, you know, like in high school. You have CF? Uh, I have cystic fibrosis. <laughs> it's a chronic uh, and fatal lung disease. Um, yeah, interesting. But I, 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 when you were in high school, were you having, like, were you doing the, like, I'm shitting 20 times a day kind of thing? Uh, no, that was the, so the summer slash spring before. Okay. Okay. That was so, in the last part of junior high going into high school. And once you got into high school, your, your bowel movements were like down to like kind of Water. normal. Like, oh, going, like, 
Uh, well, sure. Uh, what, what was the consistency? No. <laughs> Water. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, but like, how often were you going? Oh man, like it would depend. You know, it, it would be on a bad day. It, on a bad day, ten to twelve times. Okay, wow. so yeah. so I I when I was going to uh, high school, um, I. I had my license pretty much like right away. Like I got my license like went as soon as I was 16. Mm-hmm. Um, and Isn't that every, like grade 11? Um, I was in grade 10. I, I was in grade 10. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so every time I would have to shit, I wouldn't shit at school for the most part. I would, I would like almost always drive home mm-hmm. and take a, take a dump. Dude, mm-hmm. you're like, uh, what's his name uh, from American Pie? <laughs> I know. And it, like legitimately, cause Finch. like I just like felt weird about shitting. Yeah. The idea of shitting next to someone, I hated that for yeah, some reason. Sure. And so I would go home and like just not like I just w- would avoid shitting in a stall next to someone at all costs. Yeah. I was always really amused by making someone feel uncomfortable with the sounds that you make. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> I, I never, I didn't mind unless it, as long as it was clean. If the bathroom felt clean, I was comfortable. I had, doing I had a little whatever. bit, of, yeah, a little yeah. bit of clean issues is better as well. But so. So, and I, I don't think I'm alone in that, in the like, like <laughs> carrying shame around shitting for some reason. No, I'm um, definitely not. <laughs> yeah. Like, and, and especially in high school or like junior high, um, like you never want someone to know you're taking a shit. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like if a girl found out you shat, oh, man. fuck it's over. You know what I mean? Like she's definitely not going to prom no. with you anymore. Um, <laughs> cause she doesn't poop. So she'd be offended if she found out you do. <laughs> so I'm wondering you like do, if, do, you're, do. if you're going to high school and you're going, you're going to take a shit 10 times in a day. Yeah. Like did that, did that have a, a a negative effect on your like your this is, sounds very silly, but I'm actually very curious to know. Did it have a negative effect on your mental status surrounding shitting or did it become so normal because you had to do it all the time that you're like, whatever, I shit 10 times a day. Fucking get over it. No, it was never normal. That's for sure. Mm. The, the sensation was always that it was abnormal. So it was very strange. But the problem that I faced was, is that I didn't want people to know what I was going through. Like I didn't want people to even be able to like, you know, people knew I was in the hospital. They knew that something had happened or whatever, but I didn't take time to talk to anybody about it. I buried that for a long time. Like there was people that I still I tell people that I grew up with all the time. They're like, what? Like, I don't remember that. Even, like even your brother though, like talking because like he's going through the same thing. So. Yeah. We didn't talk about it. We talked about everything else, but we never talked about it. Huh. It was a very weird, like internalizing, it was like a shame thing. Like yeah. you just felt like, you know what? Like, fuck, I'm just not going to talk about it. And so when I was at school, if I had to go to use the washroom, I would literally just hold as hard as I could. And, uh, very and, healthy. and, and, the, yeah. and yeah. that's can be the worst part of it. Right. Cause that leads to stress. And so stress and inflammatory conditions are horrible for each other. Fire and gasoline. Dude, so. that fucks me up when I try to hold that in, uh, I got no yeah. type of Yeah, but disease. Taylor, we're still not sure about you because like if you have a an ice cream sandwich, you're violent. No, no, no. It's like seven ice cream sandwiches. <laughs> no, dude. It's one. And as soon as <laughs> no, you have one. No, it's Tay- not. It's like seven because I oh, that's man. what I do. I eat like seven at yeah. a time. No. I can't well, lactose intolerant it, for I, sure. I, I, 100%. You know what? Actually, it's funny because I haven't thought about the whole school thing and whole and like I remember distinctly and this is a total like candid thing. I remember distinctly there was there was two times during that after surgery year where I would hold it and I try to get home. You wouldn't make it. You'd shat. Yeah. But it's not, it's not the same as like laying a brick in your pants. No, you're literally just peeing out of your butthole into your pants. So I remember distinctly. And then I remember it was like during the first periods of 
being able to be on my own and having an independence. So I would go home and like try and do my own laundry and like, and do all that stuff and, and make sure nobody found out about what happened. But you know, it's like, I can distinctly remember that being part of my childhood is like playing, you know, how people are like, you oh, know, never trust a fart. There was no such thing as trusting anything <laughs> yeah, for me yeah, when yeah, I was a yeah, kid. Yeah. You know, you just could not do it. My so. dad, when he was in high school, uh, he was getting ready for a dance. God. It was like, it was like the day, like my dad grew up in fucking Baybert, Newfoundland. Like, so the dance was a, That's big, a big deal. deal. A big yeah. deal, y'all. Yeah. And so my dad was like, uh, they don't say y'all in Newfoundland. Uh, it was a big deal, my son. Yeah, there you uh, go. <laughs> and so he saved up all this money and he bought these fucking killer white bell bottoms. Tight as fuck on the top, loose as fuck on the bottom. Does he have a picture I want to see? Uh, I don't. Well, he doesn't have a picture of these pants because he was walking to the dance. No. And absolutely shittered himself. Ruined the white denim. Uh, Obviously. (laughs) Obviously. (laughs) Had to turn home and uh, and didn't go to the dance that night. And again, guys, I feel like I'm I'm on a roll with these stories. You got some really that. anecdotal stuff that barely <laughs> makes sense for what we're talking about. They're really good. They're really good. What was your uh, What was your hydration situation all about in this in this uh, scene? I mean, Not I know enough. that if, I know that I've had experiences where I've been sick traveling and yeah. I've shit like 20 times a day, and mm, it can it be very totally, dangerous. Oh, dude, I got fucked yeah. up. <laughs> so one of the I think the worst things that I had to go through is figuring my own my own uh, dietary slash hydration slash everything out because yeah. when you're young you just fucking drink a two liter bottle of Mountain Dew and then yeah like <laughs> play video games for the rest of the night water is like as only a during sports did I ever drink water exactly, <laughs> exactly. or when I was like I'm desperate at the fountain like, yeah. I couldn't yeah. Yeah, exactly <laughs> and so um I figured out pretty quickly after afterwards uh, in fact, I didn't, uh, the doctor told me that pop was pop, caffeine, those sorts of things, sugar, that was bad. And so I was like, fuck, I didn't have pop for 15 years after I had my surgery. Dude, Whoa. not a glass, not a drop because I was like, nah. What about like ginger beer? Nope. Absolutely not. What about no. coffee? Do you drink beer, coffee? Beer, I bet beer's the same. Like it's got sugars. It's got, uh, I don't drink coffee at all. I never touch coffee. Coffee Tea? fucks with me bad. Yeah. Tea, no, don't drink anything caffeinated. I can no. only drink, uh, have you ever, have you ever, I wonder, I, I know that we, I don't have grown, so it's probably not the same, but um, I drink, like if I drink filtered coffee uh, or, or um, coffee grounds, like in a French press or whatever, I'm on the toilet within like 30 minutes. Yeah, brown like town. I, I had an espresso martini once and I remember just that amount of oh, okay. caffeine and espresso. Fuck, like it feels like someone's taking my insides and grinding well, it. Dude, like, so that's um, the difference. Uh, yeah, so when a, I when a I have normal espresso, person having <clears throat> coffee and yeah. everybody, man, coffee makes you shit. Yeah. But when I have espresso, espresso, well, espresso, an americano because it, when I believe it's, it's pronounced espresso. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right, Jeremy. When it's when it's a small amount of coffee like espresso and then watered down like an americano, no no ill effects at all. Yeah. But felt but uh, like poured coffee or drip coffee or whatever, yeah. just like. Like that. Mm-hmm. Coming back to the high school experience. So you go throughout these three years, um, assuming your high school is three mm-hmm. years. Um, and within those three years, I'm, I'm guessing from what you've said, there was, there was zero time within the three year span where you uh, actually spoke about your illness, like yeah. openly. No, I think the only people that knew were, possibly teachers okay even, even then even it was then, like, maybe not yeah now do, do, were there any sorry were there uh, any ex- yeah sit, go i was ahead. just gonna say on on the teacher note like wouldn't don't you think it would have been easier to just like 
go up to them and be like, hey. Would have uh, been way, way easier. Like, <laughs> would have been way easier. Say, but he's obviously not ra- thinking rationally. No. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's going. And I guess like embarrassed too, it's hard to. Yeah, but the teacher's going to tell Stephanie. Well, a lot. I can't. It's hard to remember the mindset because it kind of like evolves as you go through it. But I remember when, so when I was through surgery and they were putting me on steroids, the steroids were so intense that it would make my face blow up. Like I had a fat face and I was like 125 pounds. So it was like, people were like, Adrian, what the hell's going Whoa, on with face? Yeah. You're like, uh, I'd be like, I don't know. I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> yeah. It's the winter. Yeah. It's the winter. Yeah. Winter weight. Yeah. A little, yeah. face. A little yeah. face inflammation. You know, um, so, so having not spoken about it for those three years, were there any moments where um, it kind of like, came out or like there was there was a uh, an experience that you had that you know you you realize like oh fuck like yeah. i don't want anyone i yeah. wish i wish that didn't happen because now people probably have uh yeah the definitely i remember being uh oh with a bunch of buddies we were going to i it was like a movie penhorn mall days oh yeah we were going to a movie at penhorn mall and uh we went to go see a movie and i probably got up three or four times during that movie and then the explanation afterwards to like the dudes being like, what the fuck? What were you doing? Why did you get up every time? Like blah, blah, blah. Cocaine. Then, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> heavy, heavy I, uh, I, I, I won set for life and uh, it's pretty much destroyed and, me since then. I've just been having this I've been destroyed for life. <laughs> yeah. Set for life is actually should be destroyed for life because now I have a huge cocaine addiction. But I remember cocaine I'm, addiction is not funny. Um, no, no, we no. did a fantastic episode on cocaine addiction. Uh, Go back and listen to it. Uh, okay. And anyway, Thanks for okay. that side, Jamie. Thank you. Go. But yeah, no, I, I remember being like, that was like almost my first time to try and open up to people about it. And like, I think I was 15 or 16 years old at that point. And I remember being like exactly what I expected my buddies to say, oh, which was no, like, right. dude, so what? Like you just shit your pants? Like blah, 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 blah. And I was like, fuck, like no concept. And it was just like, all right, cool. No worries. Like, let's move the fuck on from this conversation. And like yeah. never talked about oh, it. Ah, fuck. So, yeah. It was just a very like, uh. Yeah, it's just like a situation where I, I dealt with it myself on my own time. And then I tried to incorporate myself into situations where I knew I wouldn't even have problems come up. Porn, Satan, drugs, therapy. It's not just the list of what I'm up to this weekend. I'm comedian Kiki Anderson, and those are just a handful of the taboo topics I've poked and prodded at so far on my podcast, Indecent, the show where we peel at the wallpaper of polite society. Each episode digs into the dark underbelly of our culture to dissect the things we aren't allowed to talk about around the dinner table. Featuring conversations with comedians, activists, journalists, academics, they all help me figure out the who, what, and why behind what is and isn't acceptable behavior. And Decent with Kiki Anderson, where NSFW meets LMAO. Mwah. So, like, you know, we're at the age where, um, you know, we're, we're like, our friends are having kids and mm-hmm. and... And, you know, I watch like the people who I know that are close to my age within like a span of like eight years who have kids that are growing up and like watching the way that they raise their children. I'm just thinking like, man, the world's going to be with the people that I know with with these people, like those children are going to be so aware. And so like they're going to fucking rock the world. It's going to be amazing. Um and then I, I think back to like the way our, my parents raised me and there was like a lot of things that we just didn't talk about. And so it's like, you know, there, when you don't talk about things, you, 
you feel like you're not supposed to talk about mm-hmm. those things and whatever. Yeah. And so I'm wondering if it's like, if that's changing now, you know, like with this, these new generations of children growing up with things like Crohn's, like if it's different, you know, if you went to a high school, if, if it's more kind of open, kind of acceptable, yeah. I, I, I don't I, know. Maybe, I mean, maybe next generation, maybe because now, I mean, dude, we think about like, in this age of uh, social media and like fucking online bullying and tormenting and all that shit that like kids seem to be even more shitty now because of the advent of the internet. Yes. But also, you know, I was just speaking recently to my, uh, I have a really good relationship with my old uh, drama teacher. Like we still meet up for dinner every once in a while. Like we're, we're good friends. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about, um, uh, we were talking about how, Things have changed since I was in her class and she was going, yeah, like when you, when you were in, in, when you went to Sackville High, there was, there was maybe one openly gay person mm-hmm. at the school, like, yeah. like us as teachers knew about. Uh, and she's like, and now out of the, out of the three classes or the four classes that I teach, there's like six openly trans people. Mm-hmm. And there, it's very open. Yeah, and sure. so it's like to me and to me, like, dude, think about 2005, oh, yeah, 2004, dude. having like two openly trans people in your class. That, like, that just would be mind blowing, mind blowing oh. at the time. Right. So I'm wondering if it's the same thing with illness or disease where it's like people are just a little bit more, I don't know, like open would, to talking about it and being, I don't know. Maybe. I would I would challenge that and say, I think that. As an idea, I think uh, society is becoming more accepting of that, and that's why people are doing that because their parents at home are saying, you know, like it's okay to be you and and whatever. It's you okay feel, to shit you know? ten times a day, yeah. Billy. It's okay. But yeah. I still think that that mob mentality of people like going through puberty and yeah. egos like being social hierarchy and, and all that. Yeah, stuff. I think it's still like I and and I'm not just speaking out of what I'm guessing, I, I, cause I coach you work kids with that kids. Are that age. Yeah. yeah. Right. And I still see like the same shit that we yeah. would have went through when we right. were that age. Right. And, it, and, I, and it's not to say that it's not changing because I do think that like that, that example that you give is a very compelling one, but I still think that the, the puberty and going through that really and it's circumstantial that mix you know like for that <clears throat> for that like kids being gay or kids being trans i mean that's about being open about i mean i guess illnesses as well being open about like who you are as a person in every facet of your life yeah it's a little di- a little different right little you're different. identifying as uh you know gay or trans whereas like i i don't think anybody is like i identify as, as someone who has cancer mm-hmm. like you yeah. know you don't most people are like i am not my disease like that's like the kind of mentality yeah. like yeah and mm-hmm. so to say, like, to be like me and be like, I, I have CF, like, I, I pretty much do identify as a CF, like, I am CF, CF is me. Like, <laughs> you're I, you're an fucking, advocate of it. it you're, exactly. you're an advocate of wanting to sp- spread the message of what that is, yeah. you know, and make sure that people have a better understanding. Because <laughs> the important thing that I think comes from platforms like social media is that in some instances, apparently, especially for a generation like ours, is, I- I- ignorance isn't an excuse anymore. Like, mm-hmm. it's just not. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. being being ignorant of something, that just means that you're blatantly looking past yeah. what it is. Yeah. Because uh, I, 
like yeah. information's available. It's, like there. it's not it's yeah. not it's not something you have to go digging for anymore. It's exactly. right at your fingertips with your phone, with your computer, with anything yeah. that's connected to I wanna, the internet. I want to come back to you, Adrian. Um I know that I know that you're a pretty big skateboarder. Yeah. And you mentioned that um during your diagnosis you weren't able to skateboard shortly after that. But you skateboard now. So what was that transition like not being able to to take part in something that you were super passionate about? I think that was if anything was a driver for me to get to become whatever my idea was healthy back then, it was that. It was to make sure that by the summer that happened after my surgery, I was able to do what I love to do. You know, I was able to get back out and go on my skateboard. And so it was a big, it was a big push for me. I remember it being a, like a, a lot harder for the first time I stepped back on my skateboard than it was when I, you know, for instance, when I uh, got sick that summer. But that was definitely one of my my biggest drivers is, is getting back to the things that I was really passionate about. I remember uh, going to the skate park even by myself. I wouldn't go with my brother, which we would always do it together because I didn't want to, I didn't, I didn't want people to see me as weak or as not being mm, able to right. do what I used to do. Like I, that was a lot of, a lot of that burying, right? I just wanted to make sure that I could get back to where I was at. Um, and so I, I did that. And, and I remember, geez, it probably took a year until I could fall and not feel like I was going to break like a piece of glass or, or like, you know, right. just because of the fragility that I thought my life was after that. But huh. was that like a misperception of reality? Yeah. Like, were, like you're not actually like there's, there was, was there actually like a consequence of you like perforating your bowel or anything like no, that? By not, falling not by the time I got back on the board. Um, <clears throat> you know, the steroids really didn't help my body heal. The anti-inflammatory drugs allowed my, you know, allowed my, my, uh, Crohn's to, to regress to a certain point where I could actually eat food and get the nutrients from it again. So mm-hmm. I got my weight back and started to get healthy again. But, uh, you know, it really, the biggest, um, factors for people that have inflammatory thing, uh, diseases, um, I guess for my sense was physical activity is making sure you're sweating and you're moving the blood through your body and it helps gets a lot of the toxins out and helps get mm-hmm. a lot of that inf- inflammation down. And so as soon as the doctor started to tell me the ways that I could improve my condition, I just immediately just pushed that into skateboarding. Mm-hmm. I also started to do things like break dancing, started to get very physically active in the ways that I thought I could do. Like I was never a sports guy. I didn't, you know, I didn't paddle. I didn't do weightlifting. I didn't do anything like More that. More traditional stuff. Exactly. I didn't do soccer or sports, but I definitely was, I knew that I could sweat because that's what the doctor told me. He's like, yeah, get your heart rate up, you get sweat. And I was like, Okay, so I'm gonna go skateboarding more. That's mm-hmm. what you're telling me. And so I went to that. Sweet. Yeah, Good yeah. yeah sweet. Good yeah. sweet. Great prescription. <laughs> and uh, getting past the first few months of like falling and figuring out that I wasn't gonna get hurt more than, you know, getting a bruise or whatever. Right. Um, it really, you know, being able to pick yourself up from that sort of sport, because, you know, skateboarding is definitely more failures than it is successes. Um, yeah. Getting to go through that and putting my focus onto that instead of my condition, that was. That was definitely a big, uh, a big breakthrough breakthrough for me. So. That's actually that's a really good that's a really interesting piece to talk about because I remember um, going back the the guy that I said had a feeding tube that I played hockey against and and with and in other situations. <clears throat> like I, I think at that time, like you're just as a as someone as a young person who's in their teens and seeing playing against somebody who has who you can see while he like he he's not eating while he's playing but he's got his feeding tube always in and seeing someone and going like whoa, he's got a fucking tube in his nose. Like, what the fuck's wrong with him? It's obviously not holding him back from excelling at hockey. And he mm-hmm. was a great hockey player. That's um, so crazy yeah, that, that, that he was staying. Like, that seems like such a liability. 
You know, well, what I mean? it was it's like, taped. I, it was like, you know, he tapes it. Right. it. It goes like, it goes, uh, like up behind his ear and it's taped behind him. So it's not like, and you're wearing, a, ca- you're wearing a cage at that point as well. Right. So there's no, it's not like it's going to get pulled out by a, by a glove or anything, but so did that change sure. like your, did that change your approach and how you played against him? Like you saw him, you're like, well, I'm not going to like, I'm not going to try. I and probably bump. did right yeah. in the beginning, but yeah. then I also knew him on a personal level as mm-hmm. well. Like he, he played, we played against each other in leagues, but then mm-hmm. in like fall, like elite leagues and stuff, we played with each other. So, so you didn't it, use his tube against him though. Like you didn't go up and check him and then just like grab with your hand around the back of his neck and try to grab the tube. No, but you know what? As a, as like a, as like a more dirty style hockey player, I probably did like punch trash talk tube. Him. I probably did trash talk. Oh him, yeah. Though, most yeah. likely. Yeah. And, but then, but then I knew, what but would then you I, have said? Oh, I can't remember now. And I'm hey, not, Tubi. I'm not, yeah, that's exactly what I would have said, Tubi. Your mom feed you through that tube? <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Something, yeah. something like that. But I also knew him on a personal <laughs> level. So I got to, so because I was so fascinated by going, whoa, shit, you have a, you have a tube in your face and I'm playing against you and it doesn't seem to be slowing you down at all. So when we played with each other, I always asked him a ton about that. And I mean, mm. and when I look back on, I mean, I, I was very vocal with Jeremy about like what was going on with his CF when we first met. Mm-hmm. That was way later. I was 20 years old versus like 12, 13, 14. But, um, I think it's a really great piece to, to know that, you know, when, when you have, when you're dealing with something like that, when you're young to try and get over this sense of like fragility and that you can get back on your feet and you can keep doing what you're doing. I mean, as long as you know, mm-hmm. you're in the and find a sense it. of normalcy. Yeah, and that yeah. skateboarding analogy is always great. I love the you know the the thought of like it's it's a series of failures way more than it is a series of successes with skateboarding. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like just over and over and over again, and just yeah. getting yourself back on the board. Well, I think going off anything to do with twins, and I think uh, Brian will get a better understanding of this. Is even watching my brother um, do what he was doing with skateboarding, it was almost a push for me to say it's like you know what, he's got what I have. And you may, I might've been a bit sicker, but it doesn't mm. matter. I'm going to get back to where he's at. And then, you know, even though we never, even though him and I really never talked about it, it was like an unspoken thing where, because mm-hmm. we would always go skateboarding together where when we were together, super close bonding. And I got real, I was very lucky to have that through that whole process. And I, I think that some people that go through it solely by themselves, that might be the more difficult mental challenge. Mm. So what do you, you, you said that you don't, you, you guys never really spoke about it and you said the, that it, back when we were younger, back when you were sure. younger yeah. and you said, you, you know, like high school, you didn't really speak about it. What, where was the point in your life where it started to become a, uh, regular part of your dialogue or at least something that's not like hidden under the rug? Yeah. Uh, t- honestly, probably not until the last five years. Yeah. Because uh, again, as I said, when I first sat down, um, I'm lucky. I pushed myself out of medication. Um, I weaned myself off of medication uh, back when I was about 17, 18 years old, just because it, it didn't have side effects, but I was like, one of those kids was like, I don't want to take pills anymore. I'm tired of taking pills. And going kind of full circle, the condition I have for my liver is was exacerbated by the pills that I was taking when I was younger. So uh, oh, those right, two yeah. things, even though that Crohn's and PSC go hand in hand, my liver was having to filter tons and tons of extra crap that it didn't need to to filter out by taking that medication while I was going through my puberty. Puberty, so um, yeah, it's uh, it, talking about it didn't happen. Like it really didn't happen because I I got to a point where I didn't need medication and I finally felt normal again. Right, and so I just never brought it up to people. Right, and then I think it was like when just just having conversations with other people that that brought it up first, and I'd be like. 
yeah, actually I do too. And they'd be like, what? Right. There's people, there's a girl that I grew up with, for instance, I know, and she's, she's much sicker than I am. Um, and we've talked about it candidly a few times and, and I've got so much empathy because it's, you know, it, it gives me a broader understanding of how lucky I am. You know, I, I live with these conditions and I can manage them through my dieting and, and through these different things that I do exercise. But some people, it's like, it doesn't matter what they do. It's mm. just, it's, it's a, and it's a, it afflicts them constantly. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we were just having a kind of a similar conversation in the realm of, it was in the realm of mental health, but you know how some, you can do like alternatives to taking medicine to a certain degree, depending on how severe your, you know, what your, what your situation, how it presents itself. And then in other cases, it's like, you know, it's just to a level that mm-hmm. no matter what, you're going to have to take some medication to yeah. deal with it. And then that's still going to be tough. Mm-hmm. Treatment. So, um, before, before you became more comfortable in talking about this, um, did, did, uh, Crohn's affect your, your dating life? Yeah, but it was never in a sense of like when I was dating, I'd have like episodes or attacks or anything like that. It affected it more in a sense that I probably just distance myself more from people. I never developed really strong relationships with any of the, the girls that I dated growing up because it was always like, you know what, too close means you get exposure on what's, you know, what the problems are. And I never wanted that. So a lot of my relationships growing up were, I'm very superficial, you know, just yeah. extremely uh, on the surface. And I, I never developed anything that was, uh, you know, I never had like a long-term girlfriend that, that became part of the family or anything like that. It never yeah. happened. So, yeah. And was that because, because you were kind of afraid of, of basically having, having that, that conversation. conversation. Yeah. It, was, it was, it was almost as if you were kind of like, you had this, this secret mm-hmm. or this thing that you were withholding that yep. would kind of distance you. Well, and then I thought that yeah. that was like a, it's, when I was a kid, I thought it was a repulsive thing. You know, I think right. that, you know, girls definitely didn't want to hear about that, yeah. but even getting older, it was just kind of like, if there was a pros and cons list of Adrian's attributes, you know, the con list of my conditions were just, you know, well, oh, he's got that. So why, why would I want something long-term with something, you know, you perceive yourself as damaged almost right. uh, or you're, yeah. you're, you're not as whole as someone that's uh, that's completely healthy. So I remember, <clears throat> I remember being at, um, uh, a girl I dated for a while in, uh, in high school, went to her house one time. I uh, stayed at our house for the weekend. I went to a boarding school and she, she, she also boarded. So we went to her house for the, for the weekend. And, um, she, uh, she, w- we were downstairs in her basement and I remember being like, um, yeah, I'm going to go up and, uh, like, uh, get a glass of water. And then I'd like run up to like the, the third level of the house, <laughs> like go to the bathroom and be like, <laughs> and, like try, to, try to like literally push it out in like 10 seconds and be like, okay, flush. Okay. Turn on the fan. Leave. Spray. <laughs> okay, go back down. I go back down. She's like, where's your water? And be like, Oh, uh, I shit. It. <laughs> uh, I, I drank it. I left the glass up there. <laughs> Just like a total yeah. ruse to not. Yeah. Yeah. To just like, I mean, it's crazy that at at, at some point in your <laughs> oh, life, yeah. you think, and a lot of people carry this to the same in in, yeah. in present day life, sure. is that like if somewhere along the along the way we became uh, used to the it. idea, demonized the idea yeah. that we create waste yeah. and that we need no, to get rid of it. It's a natural thing to, <laughs> yeah. to get rid of. Yeah, it's so funny how like I I remember being so terrified about that, and like now in my current relationship couldn't be further yeah. from yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's the uh, you know that's the real sense of maturity that I get when I'm older is that I'm not afraid to like tell yeah. somebody I took a crap or something. Yeah, like exactly. That. It's fucking Friday. Friday still can't do it. She still can't get get uh, like if I'm taking a shit. And I don't have the toilet paper. And I'm like, hey, Bridie, can you get me some toilet paper? 
She'll she'll fucking open the door. I thought that that was Bridie for a second. She'll open the door and she'll slide her hand like with just enough space with the toilet paper in her hand and her arm to come through. And then she'll just blindly toss it and hope that that it's tossed in the right way. It's like a radioactive. uh, Yeah. I don't know. She wants to. What's her fart? What's her fart uh, comfort level? Uh, She won't fart in front of me, but I let him rip. You know, Chelsea is kind of, kind of the same way. Um, I just feel like she just doesn't fart. Like I never hear her fart, but I always. Oh dude, she does. Well, she obviously she does. (laughs) I don't know. I I don't know. Strong, strong, silent type. (laughs) I, I, I've farted on her a few times. Oh. And, uh, Duh. I, you're I in a relationship. You sleep I, in the same bed every night. Yeah. I took a poop in front of Becca the other day. <laughs> Good for you. She, you were on the phone with me, I think, when you did that. I did, yeah. yeah. She, I was on the phone with you taking a shit, and she came in to take a shower, and uh, and it, all three of us, it was just like a sweet little... I poop in front of my dog like every day. We were on FaceTime. (laughs) That's good bonding though. Your dog poops in front of you. You poop in front of the dog. Exactly. Make sure he's he's comfortable. I'm comfortable. I actually love pissing with Bigby. Like like like. So when I was living at my parents' house, I would take Bigby out to the side to the side of the house to pee. And I'd be like, well, I gotta fucking piss too. And it'd be like nighttime and no one's around. So I'd be like, Bigby, let's pee together, buddy. Come on. And I'd pee. And then he would pee. And I'd be like, Man, good man's best friend. Yeah, yeah. 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 Definitely yeah. something weird. Definitely that. something more weird about that, though. I don't know. Yeah, do you, I do. Do you guys sword fight? <laughs> <laughs> Cross swords. <laughs> um, is there anything we didn't uh, touch on that you were hoping we were going to dive into? Not much that I didn't think of. I mean, the, the liver condition, I think, was the more recent thing that I dealt with, but it's even then. So both my conditions are what I, I live with and manage without medication. And I think for people that if I was to say some, if I was to have a conversation with somebody, uh, and in fact, <coughs> perfect example, I had, uh, I had a conversation with a young, uh, young guy that was about my age when I got sick, but he was like full on colostomy bag. Like, oh, yeah, uh, he, he had, he, again, he had it so much worse than I did. And I remember meeting him and he's a, he's a cousin of a friend of mine. I met him two summers ago and the world was bleak for him. Like it was for me and I could see it in him. And he, and he was just constantly like the whole, the whole weekend we were together, he was constantly like excluding himself from things and, and sitting out. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I remember at the ripe age of 26 being like, I need to talk to this guy and let him know that life can get better apart from, from where he's at now. And that, you know, especially with technology and, and medical, to, uh, medical advances that he's not going to have to live like this forever. Cause mm-hmm. his condition wasn't that he was going to have to wear the bag forever. It was just that he was had the bag for now until mm-hmm. he could get better. And so, uh, yeah, really, you know, kind of a powerful conversation where I opened up about my experiences with somebody that was going through what was happening right then, right, right now. And, um, you know, kind of just tell him like, live, live as much as possible, but, you know, stay active. Don't drink, uh, pop and eat candy and all the <laughs> stuff that you're, you're compelled to do when you're younger. Oh yeah. And then like, it's, it's like, you don't want to sound like you're being, uh, you know, you don't want to beat the kid over the head with the fact that it's like, oh, yeah, do this, do that. But just trying to impart on him what it's like to go through where he's at and come out of where it is and get, yeah. to, get to a place where you can be happy and healthy and, and that you don't have to be ashamed of it. Yeah, I think yeah. I think that's a hell of a lot more valuable coming from somebody who also has mm-hmm. been through that experience yeah. rather than just hearing it from a doctor yeah. or yeah, your we, parents. We who, compared scars and yeah. stuff and I was like, yeah, dude, like I had the same sort of thing and, and you could see like just the lift off his shoulders where he was like, finally somebody, like, yeah. you know, where I think that he kind of thinks what I thought, which is like, you know, I'm by myself, even though 
again, my brother had it. It was something we didn't talk about. So I just, it was a very isolating feeling. So seeing mm-hmm. him have just that sort of conversation, I hope it made an impact on him. At least I, I haven't sure really did. followed up or talked to him anymore. But mm-hmm. what would you say that your experience with Crohn's has taken away from you? I took a lot away from, I think what I, what most people would have experienced through the high school years. I wasn't as risk oriented, you know, I didn't take a lot of chances with certain things because I was already in sort of this little bubble that I put myself in and I knew what I could take risks with, like as far as skateboarding, but I didn't jump outside my shell too much. And I didn't like put myself out there a lot. I saved that probably later on until I got a little bit older and I was able to make probably smarter choices than I would have <laughs> when I was younger. Yeah. So who knows if that was for the better, but I distinctly remember that like through 10, 11 and in the first part of 12, I was just one of those kids that was like, yeah, I'm not going to go and do that. Or I'm just going to stay home, play video games instead of going to do that. Mm-hmm. And just like push myself away from things where I might run into situations where people call me out of my condition or mm. whatever. Right. So, um, that would be the biggest thing, but again, in the long run, probably more of a positive thing. And, well, what, yeah. what is it giving you? That was my next question. Oh, giving me, um, the, the sense of now is when to do things and not, you know, cause you don't know when you're going to have a flare if you don't know when you're going to get sick. And for me personally, especially with even my liver condition more. So I'm going to need a new one eventually, you know, that's just how it goes. There's no treatment for it. You can't, you can't fix the one I've got the condition is degenerative. So eventually I'll need a new one. So I know that through the years I have that I'm healthy and that I can maintain it, I'm, I need to go for it. Otherwise, you know, I don't know how, how far I get on the one that I've got now and who knows what life's like after the one, mm. uh, after you get a transplant, if you get a transplant. So, right. mm. yeah. Crazy. But, yeah. I'm sorry crazy. we didn't really dive into the, uh, to the liver. I mean, now that you just said that, yeah. that you need a, that you'll need a transplant eventually. I'm well, again, it's, it's pretty far off, right? but it's, there's no real way to treat the conditions that happen because it's it's basically what your body does to produce digestive um, um, enzymes enzymes for your stomach. So the bile ducts get inflamed and they get scarred and they harden and stuff like that. And so you know, as far as I remember having a candid conversation with my doctor because I got diagnosed when I was 21, and he said he was like, "You can live your life really." He's like, "Just make smart choices." And so things like partying or things like anything that you do, he's like those are all going to impact you in different ways than it would normal people. So he's like, you kind of have to take that into consideration. Right. So like, getting, <clears throat> like getting wasted is kind of off the table. No, not no. really. It's, it's more of a, it's more of the after effects. And it's kind of like, if you look at it in a health bar related video game scenario, yeah. I, I think anytime that I go and do those situations, I have to realize that it's taken a bit off the end. And so, so, I watched, how, uh, so I watched, how do you level up? Like what's the, uh, what's the leveling up would definitely be like exercise. Eat mushrooms. Eat my, um, <laughs> um, I drink about five, six liters of water a day. So I f- try and yeah, filter my, is, yeah, I try and filter my body, um, through like water process, sweat. I go to the gym every day regardless. And I try and make sure that I'm doing as much as possible to eat healthy and, and maintain the meat skeleton <laughs> that, that, <laughs> yeah. you know. That that uh, that I have, and and not put too much pressure onto the liver, so I don't take things like Tylenol or Advil or whatever. I like l- literally don't take any pills at all now. Mm. And so anything that would be an extra added uh, strain to the liver, I just totally eliminate from mm. my uh, from my. I, my uh, I watched uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the World twice last week, so nice. I'm pretty much seeing everything with uh, level bars <laughs> yeah. and one ups yeah. and everything. So that's what I pictured in my head. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, P, P bars, vegan police, <laughs> vegan police are my favorite. 
Uh, thanks for coming in. Hey, thanks yeah, for sharing. Thanks for this was, uh, I love these fucking fun conversations where we can go on all Saturday sorts of different levels. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Um, and uh, thank you all so much for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week. But before then, uh, head on over to Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all that stuff. Uh, we shit. What like we might be? I don't know when this comes out, but we might be coming to Toronto this weekend. And could be in Toronto there, right now. We could be. And also, there could be a live show that has or hasn't happened yet in Toronto. Mm-hmm. So uh, go over to Facebook and just see if you missed it. Uh, Cry <laughs> if you did. <laughs> and, uh, oh, we're on Patreon as well. Uh, this is how we keep this podcast rolling uh, and keep it sustainable. Um, and go to Toronto. Like, and go. Like the place that we may or may not be right now. <laughs> right now. Um, so you can go on over there. There's exclusive content. And uh, give us some money and help us keep this uh, sucker rolling. Yeah, most of all, you'll feel good about yourself. 100%. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Uh, That is it for this week. I'm Brian. I'm Taylor. And I'm Jeremy. And this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.